Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. He was there. He was at Allegiant Stadium for maybe the most improbable win in recent memory and maybe all of Cardinals team history. We get Paul's point of view. There were two games played on Sunday, the first half and then the second half and overtime. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 592, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed it. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again. Some more Murray magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. All right, just too much to get into, Paul. Got no time for pleasantries. We just gonna dive right in, unless there's unless there's something that did happen in Vegas that must not stay in Vegas that you do feel compelled to detail. Well, you know, you feel like you went to Vegas and you saw a show. You know, Ron Wolfley likes to bring the Warrior Queen. They go to Vegas. You know, they see a show. You just saw a show. Whether it was a magic act by Kyla Murray, whether it was a certified drama, yeah, you know, but it was uh, it was definitely a show. Uh, intermission was the turning point of the show. We'll get <laughs> into that uh, a little bit. But, you know, I feel like screaming out Russell Crowe, you know, are you not entertained? Are you not entertained, Craig Grigalou? I was, except it was not inter- – put it this way. As I watched the game, because I don't have the point of view from the sidelines. You know, on the road – don't travel, which which is fine. I, you know, I I hang out with you know Rob Fredrickson, Kyle Vandenbosch, Drew Stanton, and on Sunday it was myself and Drew in studio. So full disclosure, Bird Gang, there is about a I don't know 10, 12, 15 second delay between what I listen to, which is Dave Pash, Ron Wolfley, and yours truly, Paul Calvisi, versus what I see on the television. Interesting. So I okay. get a nice head start to what happens during the course of the game. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. <laughs> on Sunday, it was, well, in the first half, it was very, very bad. That could have been the worst two quarters from offensive and defense perspective that I have seen in recent memory. It was that bad to the point in the third quarter when the Cardinals punted on their first possession. Drew and I might have had a conversation like, okay, what are we going to do? This is still just week two. And then all of a sudden, to your point, yeah, the script was flipped, and then all of a sudden the players realized, you know what, let's just figure this out and play. Well, you know, halftime is interesting because, uh, all right, the Cardinals leave the field, and it was not pretty. It was 20 to nothing. In the first half, the Cardinals ran 19 plays for 86 yards. In fact, when they had their first touchdown drive, they actually had more yards in that drive, 89, than they had had up to that point in the game, 88. It was not good. It was not good on any level. But Cliff Kingsbury was fairly calm coming off the field. It's when they came back onto the field, out of the locker room, just the coaches came out. And I was still on the air, and we're talking about it, and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Uh, there's the head coach. There's the defensive coordinator. There's the all the assistants. There's no players. And after the game, I sort of went around the locker room, and guys weren't really willing to give up all that much information other than, yeah, the coaches left and left us to ourselves. And there may or may not have been a conversation. It may or may not have been pretty animated. 
But the players came out, and and there was still a little delayed reaction, to your point. The Cardinals got the ball to start the second half, didn't do much with it, punted it away. And at that point, the boxers started a bunch. There was a little apprehension as to, okay, where exactly is this going? And then at that point, okay, um, you know, I think a couple of things happened. Obviously, Kyler Murray happened. We'll get into that in detail. But then it, it started to take hold the offensive line and started to wear down what is a thin Raiders defensive front. Are they talented? Absolutely. But, you know, when when Max Crosby repeatedly got chipped by Darrell Williams, I don't know how many times you speak of the sideline that it happened to my side and you see out of the corner of your eye, ooh, oh, Darrell Williams just jacked Max Crosby as he was engaged with Kelvin Beecham. That had to hurt. That had to take a toll. And it did, I think. Uh, the Cardinals did eventually wear down that Raiders defensive front. And remember what we said in the pregame. The Raiders were thin in the secondary. So once Kyler started having some time and he was able to get some rhythm and able to get some chemistry with his receivers, you saw what happened. Maybe one man does make that much of a difference when we talk about the offensive line. Justin Pugh being available and solidifying now left guard. And you got Will Hernandez at right guard to point where now all of a sudden this is what we expected out of an offense, being able to score 29 points, not just in a half in overtime, but an entire game of you know that 30.400-yard mark that was so prevalent last season. But 29-23, the final Cardinals beat the Las Vegas Raiders in overtime. And one week does make a difference, Paul, because now you look at the NFC West, every team is one and one. Right. And you feel so much better when you're even at 1-1 one and one than if you were sitting here 0-2 with the Rams coming to town on Sunday. Yeah, we all know the numbers, right? Everybody now, 11% of the teams in the modern era who start 0-2 end up making the playoffs. Not a single team the last three years that starts 0-2 has made the postseason. So you, you knew what was at stake. You knew the gravity of the moment. You knew the Rams coming to town. Sean McVay's eight and one against three different coaches and the Cardinals. Maybe ten and wait nine and one, ten and one with a playoff game. Who knows? He's been dominant. So we know what happened in the last two meetings a, a year ago. So yeah, there was a lot on the line. Um, but you know what? Once the Cardinals got that ball in the end zone, and then they got the two point conversion to make it twenty three fifteen. Just the energy, the enthusiasm, the edge, if you will, on the Cardinals sideline. That was the first time I could legitimately say. This is the team that started 7-0. and This is a team that started 10-2. and We did not see it down the stretch. We did not see it over the first seven quarters, maybe, first six and a half quarters of this season. But then finally it emerged. And so whether it was a Cardinals team that has put less emphasis on the month of August and the preseason than ever, finally getting into regular season form, maybe it was just the urgency of the moment. It's sort of like when you take that class in college. And you're like, yeah, you know what, I'm good, I'm good. And then you, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden the midterm doesn't go so well and you go into the final and you got the, I got to ace this final. That's sort of what happened. And to your point about the offensive line, Justin Pugh, I think was that important. And we talked about all week going in. When left guard was such a liability in the opener, it really was. There's a serious drop-off in performance from Justin Pugh to the backups. So when he got in there, the fact he knows Chandler Jones almost as well as D.J. Humphreys, maybe better going back to their Syracuse days. The two of them were on the left side. And by the way, I think Cliff Kingsbury sandbagged us all. When he made that joke about texting Chandler Jones that, you know what, don't hold it against me when I chip you all day long, all game long with a tight end or a running back. That didn't happen nearly as often 
as 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 to my eye, and I was keeping half an eye on it the entire game. DJ Humphreys, much more often than not, was singled up against Chandler Jones. It was Kelvin Beachum who got help with Max Crosby. And Jones held to just three tackles, two quarterback hits, and basically held out of the backfield. To your point, yeah, it was a lot of one-on-one. I think most of that game was one-on-one between DJ Humphreys and Chandler Jones. And then after that, maybe that first drive of the ball game when Max Crosby really just abused Kelvin Beecham, for lack of a better term. I mean, he got by him so fast, but then that was it. There were a couple of sacks, but nullified by a penalty. Outside of that, that offensive line held up and was able to go and sustain 51 plays in the second half, not counting overtime, but 51 in the second half to where that uh, that Raiders defense did get gassed. You know, I wrote that down as well. So the first half, the Cardinals ran 19 plays for 86 yards in the second half and overtime. Now adding overtime, they ran 59 plays for 327 yards. Think about that difference once again talking about wearing down a Raiders defense and the Raiders look like the Raiders of the last two decades remember this is a team that's made the playoffs two times in 19 years they had 10 penalties and it wiped out two first downs two key first downs got negated by penalty and on a defense they had a pick they had two sacks and they had a fourth down stop all wiped out by penalties all negated by penalties so the Raiders yeah they did not play their their best brand of ball, but to what degree was it a Cardinals team, especially in that second half that came out and was physical and set the tone? And and, and just the 21-second <laughs> two-point conversion was probably, uh, in it, other than, than the game winner, obviously, Byron, Byron Murphy, was so entertaining on the sideline. During the course of that, the defensive guys actually got up off the metal bench, and they actually came to the sideline. Because they had time. Yes. <laughs> That's how long it lasted. They came and they – because they're watching – what their defensive guys do is they sit on the bench and they watch the big screen. But then as it's happening, it just – it's like you getting out of your seat as a fan of the game. Like, oh, what's going on? And you get out of your seat. You naturally come to your feet. That's what the defense did. And by the time that Kyler housed it on the two-point conversion and he traveled some 85 yards or so based on the next-gen stats, the smile on the face of Zach Allen and J.J. Watt, who were standing right next to me, in a knowing wry smile as defensive lineman, just how nauseating, how exhausting that is as a defensive lineman. You're chasing him for 21 seconds, and he still scores on the two-point conversion. And what Justin Pugh tell us after the game? That the look on their face, he's, he's, he's pass blocking, he's engaging these guys. They were absolutely gassed at that point. Um, it's just demoralizing on every single level, and that's what a Kyler Murray can do to a defensive front. And credit the offensive line going back – to the O-line as far as making sure that they did not drift downfield. So yeah. now all of a sudden there True. goes that flag out of the referee's pocket and it's an ineligible man downfield because the Raiders, you know, they, they were rushing three. And so you've got five offensive linemen that need to hold their ground. And a couple of times, because there was 21 seconds with which I could watch and watch every single offensive lineman, right. Kelvin Beecham by himself – Arms kind of up in the air, just kind of doing a little dance, and like there's no one really in front of him. But I got to make sure I don't venture too far away from my current spot to allow Kyler Murray to do what he does best. Peter King, in his Football Morning in America, said this about that particular play: "Quote, that's one of the most amazing plays I've ever seen a quarterback make." End quote. That's Peter King, who has seen a lot of football, and Paul, we're talking about a. 21-second, 85-yard play for all of two points. And 
And you know what? I think it all starts with Kyler being comfortable. I think it, it it's Kyler having confidence in the offensive line, which is something he did not have in the playoff loss. It's something he did not have last week. In the playoff loss, the right guard was a liability, and the opener, the left guard, was a liability. You just can't put a price or a gauge on how important that is when a quarterback can drop back against two premier potential Hall of Fame pass rushers and just have the confidence that he's going to have two, three, four seconds to throw. In that case, it was 21 seconds, which was just ridiculous. But then when you got to the point at the end of the game and the Cardinals needed a touchdown, and with five seconds left on the clock, fourth and goal at the three, and Kyler ends up with a touchdown run on the sideline, like I said, sometimes you have the best angle, sometimes you have the worst angle, especially when there's 350-pound offensive linemen standing in front of Pauly Pencilneck. It can be uh, suboptimal in terms of viewing angles, but at that point, you're watching the Raiders' defense, to your point, only rushing three, maybe four, dropping seven or eight, and as soon as everyone got spread out, you're just waiting. You're like, go, go, take off, there it is, boom, and he takes off, And because you know he can beat the DBs. Do you see how frustrated Jonathan Abram was? And he is a dude. Abram is a dude. And, and he, he plays to the echo of the whistle. There was a play where, like, he's getting up and he punched at Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown's like, did you not see that official? How, he, he shoved Kyler just into the white stripe when Kyler went out of bounds earlier in the game. Jonathan Abram plays with that edge, and he was so frustrated as Kyler beat him to the pylon. It, it just, you know, but – and the sideline, you're just seeing it open up. You're seeing that opening, and, and, and at some point you're like, there's enough green, there's enough green, go, go, go. And that, to Peter King's point, is something that, what, Kyler can do, Lamar Jackson can do. You can count them on one hand. Really, almost in the history of football, how many guys are capable of that? You're a car guy. You always hear that 0-60. to 60. Yep. Kyler has that ability when he's scrambling, all of a sudden, in an instant, he can go 0-60. to 60 in a split second to where all of a sudden those three yards that he needed, even though he's back all the way at the 10, 12-yard line, don't seem like a lot. And as he crossed the goal line, he kind of flipped the ball up in the air, and I don't know if it was intended to hit Abram or if it was kind of in the direction of the official there, and it just happened that Abram, as he was running, kind of ran into the football, but that football hit Abram, and he just kind of threw it down on the ground. Because yep. to the your point, the frustration that that defense felt, whether it was the two-point conversion or the Murray three-yard touchdown run, that ultimately would lead to a A.J. Green redemption play, catching the two-point conversion to send the game into overtime. But I like what Kyler Murray had to say because, Paul, this is why, A, you drafted him, and, B, why you paid him in the offseason. Quote, I had to take over, end quote. And sometimes a quarterback, a franchise quarterback, just has to take over a ball game, and Kyler Murray did that on Sunday. I was in the press conference in Vegas when he said that, and, and he, he kind of cut off the questioner. You know, the questioner was going to repeat the question again. He just cut off, and, and he just gave a definitive, declarative statement. I had to take over. That's what you want. That's the difference for the Arizona Cardinals in that game was Kyla Murray. Derek Carr, who in real time sat on this sideline in the second half for more than 30 minutes at one stretch. You saw what he looked like in crunch time when the game was on the line. So that is the difference. That's why you paid him, you know, $230 million plus going forward. I just saw a different mindset in him, though, to speak of that in terms of Wolf and I talked about this. I said, you know the play that almost stands out as much as anything? It, when I'm looking at my notes right here, it was fourth and three at the six. It was before the touchdown run that made it 23-21, and then the final A.J. Green two-point conversion. So it was on that final possession in, in, uh, of the, uh, in the four quarters, 
and he escaped Max Crosby. Max Crosby bum-rushed the backfield. Now, there was a flag on the play that would have negated the sack, but you didn't know that at that point, and Max Crosby had him. Remember the old Saturday Night Live skit, Land Shark, <laughs> right, where they knock on the door? You're dating yourself, Paul. Right. It's a total dated reference. Google it up. It's Land Shark, and somebody opens the door, and then uh, this big eight-foot shark just clamps down on him, right? And put... That's what it looked like. Max Crosby came over the top of Kyler Murray, had him in this bear hug from, like, the head down, and almost his whole entire weight was on Kyler, and he was just like, get off me! And he wrestles out of that thing with a spin move, and his base is so strong, Max Crosby's left in the backfield as Kyler breaks free. That is something that we haven't seen a whole lot of, that at certain times, Kyler Murray has been more willing to exercise self-preservation than put his body on the line. And you know what? In the big picture, it's a smart thing to do. But with the game on the line, he had no choice. He threw caution to the wind. He hung in the pocket till Max Crosby was clamping down on him. And then at the moment you thought Kyler was going down in that fourth down, he wrestled away again. And to me, that is something that stands out as a next-level Kyler Murray play that we had yet to see to date. Defensive holding on that play in particular to allow now all of a sudden it's first and goal at the three. And obviously Kyler Murray runs it in from three yards out. Second-half numbers for Kyler Murray, 25 of 40, 224 yards, a touchdown, all in the second half, mm. and his legs. We talked about it a lot. How much do we want Kyler Murray running? Five carries for 28 yards and a touchdown. Paul, all five of those carries happened in the second half. Mm. To the point of, again, quote, I had to take over. Yeah, And you know what? I didn't even print out the box score. <laughs> I, I Honestly, I, I do not have that in front of me right now and because it doesn't really matter. I had all these questions written down. Okay, you got to write down a few questions. You knew where that game was trending. What am I going to ask in the postgame locker room? Worthless. That's one of those games where, to me, a lot of the numbers, worthless. A lot of the questions and the conclusions we made, just meaningless. Okay, Kyla Murray put it in gear, did what he does. The rest of the team responded. Whatever defensive adjustments they made in the second half, only given up three points in the second half. And you know what? We've gone way too long, and this is my fault as well in the postgame, without citing what Byron Murphy did against Devontae Adams. Are you kidding me? Two grabs on seven targets for 12 yards. Yes, he had the touchdown catch. But Byron Murphy traveling with Devontae Adams almost the entirety of that game. That You can't put a value on what that did for the Cardinals' game plan and, and how effective they were in the second half. You know, it was frustrating that first half watching the defense. Vance Joseph had said about Isaiah Simmons, he we drafted him to cover tight ends. That was his quote leading into the Week 2 game at Vegas. And there to start the game, you realize, okay, Isaiah Simmons isn't a big part of the plan. He's in a third down coverage. He's in a package of third down and long and obvious passing downs. Yeah, that's That was his role. He became Zayvon Collins a year ago. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and then – Early in the game, I'm like, okay, well, if he's not on the field for the majority of the snaps, obviously he's not wearing the green dot. And then, you know, we zoomed in a little bit with the camera to confirm that, that yes, indeed, Zayvon Collins was wearing the green dot. And did he not play every snap of the game? Is that accurate? Zayvon Collins, for the first time in his career, played every defensive snap wow. in the ballgame. And there were some really good plays. There were some plays he was close to making that he didn't finish. So that's going to be the next step for Zayvon Collins. But once again, when you see Darren Waller and even the backup tight end, 87, who had some catches, uh, and they're being covered by Nick Vigil and Buda Baker again, 
and, and you know, and a Zeke Turner. And it, it's frustrating because Isaiah Simmons, as a top ten pick, once again, in the words of Vance Joseph, was drafted to cover tight ends. And then the way that went in the first half, and you're down twenty to nothing, you're like, wow, the, this defense is broken. It's dysfunctional in a number of ways. You're not getting the performance out of the guys you had counted on. So the adjustments they made in the second half, and as great as they played, um, and you hope, and Zayvon Collins is one of those guys that led the way, and Byron Murphy, two of your draft picks, that definitely gives you hope, uh, at least at this point, going into week three. Glad you brought up the defense because I want to touch on that because that's where I keep going to is that side of the ball. And Kyler Murray won that ball game. He's going to get all the attention. All the accolades, all the praise. He was in that position, though, because the defense did its job and kept Derek Carr and the Raiders out of the end zone. Just three points in that second half. The Raiders, if they score a touchdown, if the defense doesn't get off the field, Kyler Murray doesn't get the opportunity to be Kyler Murray. So, to me, yes, Kyler Murray is the headline. But let's not forget about that defense. And you brought up a number of different players, Paul. And I will let's, let's let's go back to Byron Murphy because it would watching it on TV. It's hard to see, but I'm glad you brought up the fact that for a lot of the game, Murph traveled, yep. and that was a question going into that game because typically he doesn't, or Vance Joseph doesn't like having a traveling corner. You kind of play wherever the player is to your side of the field. Devontae Adams was not targeted at all. In the second half. Wow. Now, I did not realize that. Is that Byron Murphy, Marco Wilson, Jace Whitaker played a lot. 45 defensive snaps on wow. Sunday. So they had three cornerbacks as opposed to a week earlier where it was just Murphy and Wilson. Jace Whitaker stepped up and showed the Cardinals defensive coaches something. So Byron Murphy makes the big play at the end of the ball game, but I think his better plays, more important plays – was holding Devontae Adams basically non-existent. Yeah, remember what Nick Vigil said going into this game, and it may have been the most poignant quote of the week when he said, to even have a chance in this league, everybody has to be on the same page. Communication errors cost us in the opener, and there's no doubt about it. When you had that many alignment and assignment errors in the opener against Kansas City, it was just way too easy for Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying the Cardinals, if they would have been a sound defense, would have beaten Patrick Mahomes, but it was way too easy, and Cliff Kingsbury told us that on his TV show as well. So, you know what? You sent a message. You sent a message not only to Isaiah Simmons by benching him for the majority of the game. You sent a message to the locker room. Do your job, or you won't have a job. And honestly, Gree, we know this. In the NFL and pro sports, it's the only true, genuine way to motivate. The rah-rah stuff doesn't work, motivational sayings, no. Job security is the only true motivator in the NFL. So when uh, all of a sudden you find yourself on the bench and you start thinking, oh, well, wait a minute, I was, I'm open the next year or so to get that second contract. Mm, not if you don't play better. Not if you don't make sure you're sound in the playbook. And so I, I think that sent a big message to everyone. When Jace Whitaker performed early and he got more snaps, you know who I thought played really well was Zach Allen. He came oh so close to a couple of sacks at least. But, man, did he play well. Talking about draft picks, so I thought performed. Rashard Lawrence, that get off. Oh, my goodness. He, he was in the backfield a number of times. I'd love to know how Rashard Lawrence and Zach Allen graded out. J.J. Watt was on a bit of a pitch count, but obviously he had the sack early. 
you go into any sort of bar fight with a J.J. Watt, you just feel tougher. You just have that sort of confidence. So I thought the interior D-line played pretty well. Yes, Josh Jacobs broke a few runs early, but I'm guessing that was more maybe on Zayvon Collins and Nick Vigil and Tanner Vallejo not fitting the gap. We'll see how that, that grades out. You know, honestly, you talk about the defense. I, I think the big question mark right now, if you're Steve Kime, isn't as much corner, especially if Trayvon Mullen is coming. I think it's the edge rush. and and Because and, Zach Allen, J.J. Watt, Rashard Lawrence, and company, I think are good enough in the interior D-line. What do you have outside them is the big question right now. All right, we talked about one man can make a difference offensively, Justin Pugh. Let's flip it to the defense. 99 being on the football field. You brought this up in the offseason talking about the key to the defense is a healthy J.J. Watt for all 17 games. His return. Maybe he's not the J.J. Watt three-time defensive player of the year, but it doesn't matter. You have to know where number 99 is, and you have to keep an eye on him and account for him. Does that open up? Now, Zach Allen, to your point, your vantage point, have a better game. Rashard Lawrence getting that tackle for loss. Keeping those offensive linemen off of a Zayvon Collins, a Nick Vigil, a Tanner Vallejo, because J.J. Watt's on the football field. That might be something that – and the stat book, you might not see a whole lot from a J.J. Watt, but it's his presence that means so much to the other 10 players on the football field. And to your point, the extra attention he commands. And how does that trickle down to everyone else in their production? Because Josh McDaniel going into last week's games, how many times did he name names? He said, oh, their quarterback's a problem. We've got to worry about the quarterback. Uh, you know, They have a Hall of Famer on the D-line, 99 J.J. Watt. He cited J.J. Watt a number of times, Josh McDaniels, as their offensive coordinator and, and head coach. So you know that there was extra attention paid to 99, and, and then that trickles down through everyone else. There's just also a vibe that J.J. Watt gives, especially on game day. When he comes down to the team bus, and I witness this, and he's in the meal room for breakfast and the team bus, and he's got the knit cap pulled down, he's got the headphones on, and he's got the aviator sunglasses. <laughs> and he's mean mugging everyone. Doesn't say a word. Just got this mean mug look with the sunglasses on, and he's in the meal room, and he's eating all by himself. Just a, he's one of the most popular guys in that room, but he's eating by himself. And it just says – Okay, this is game day. This is this is a different mentality today. When he gets off the bus and he's got that same look, when he takes the field for warm-ups, it's just he sets a tone that I'm not sure was there in week one. But when he's in uniform and realize, okay, you know what? Um, I got to go into savage mode. I got to go into, you know, the old Marshawn Lynch beast mode. That's the mentality, and it just – it's just something to me that I think, um, you know, now can you say, okay, the defense didn't come out and, and didn't look all that great? Sure, but that had nothing to do with J.J. Watt and that, and that front defensive line. It's just something that he sets a tone, and you just feel that much more confident when you go in. So if he can stay healthy and you can keep that D-line rotation and keep those fresh legs among those guys, I think the Cardinals are set at that position. It, it To me, once again, it comes down to the edge. If there's anyone out there who's willing to come in, a la John Abraham, Dwight Freeney, I don't know if that exists but uh, I, I could see that as a, the most likely addition right now to this roster. J.J. Watt finished with two tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, a quarterback hit, and a pass defense. Now that pass defense came on third downs, forcing the Raiders to punt the ball to allow, once again, Kyler Murray to get back on the football field. It goes, you can talk about complimentary football. That's what happened on Sunday. Kyler Murray can't do what he does and be the hero if the defense doesn't get their stops. If the defense doesn't get their stops, then Kyler Murray can't, 
be the hero and the number one story maybe in Arizona, maybe across the National Football League based off what he was able to do. So I keep going back to the defense, and you just hope, Paul, that whatever triggered, whether it was the halftime locker room speech and hopefully we get a little bit more insight on what was said, player versus coach, and then seeing what happens moving forward specifically with Isaiah Simmons because he is a part of this defense but now you hope that the message was received and instead of standing on the sideline because just watching him, there was no emotional reaction whatsoever from Isaiah Simmons when the cameras panned toward him. He was stone-faced. Paul, he was even stone-faced at the end of the game during the celebration walking off the field. Mm. So I don't know if he was trying to himself send a message, say, look what I can do when I'm on the field, or if a message was received by him saying, okay, I need to put the work in Monday through Saturday in order to play on Sunday. And you know what? I was standing in his locker when he met the media after the game, and there were some pointed questions. Like, when did you know you were going to be benched? Somebody asked it, basically, in those words. There were some pretty sobering, pointed questions. Uh, And he answered that he wasn't really aware during the week that he wasn't going to have much of a role. And so... You know, whether that's accurate or not, I'm not sure. He must have known that he wasn't going to be wearing the green dots. So after one week and then you know, after being anointed and appointed in the offseason and in, in August when Vance Joseph met the media that lone time and, and he called him the star backer and called him a star in the making. Um, you know, so, so for the wake-up call that was received, at least according to Cliff Kingsbury, in game one against Kansas City, I think game two provided a wake-up call for Isaiah Simmons. Now, is this going to be akin to his rookie year where he had the big interception in overtime against Russell Wilson and then still didn't factor in and and figure into playing a a massive role the rest of the way his rookie year? So is this going to be a one-off? Is this going to be a blip? Or is this going to be, you know, something that really initiates permanent change on the part of Isaiah Simmons? Because he's just too athletic to keep off the field, and you saw it in overtime when he jacked his former teammate, Hunter Renfro, the guy he said who looks like your average dad. And he comes in with such force and velocity. So I think the problem is what's his role? Is he truly a a cover safety, a cover linebacker downfield? You know, Adrian Wilson is an all-timer for the Cardinals and a five-time Pro Bowler. But down the field in coverage was not his forte. So does Isaiah Simmons fit into that same scouting report? How do you use him? How do you unleash his talents within this defense? I think that's the struggle is trying to define where does he play, what sort of role does he play, in what situations. And I don't think if Vance Joseph was in the trust tree, he could definitively answer that yet. Simmons can be a problem solver, but he needs to figure out, and it goes back to what Cliff was talking about, practice habits. And we were all kind of left wondering, practice habits, could that have been an indirect message to one particular player? Maybe a handful, but one particular player. Isaiah Simmons, you can be the greatest Sunday player, but you have not arrived yet. You need to practice and do it Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for us to give you an opportunity on Sunday. So I'll give the coaching staff credit because you're talking about a former first-round draft pick, and sometimes front office versus coaching staff, there's what the front office sees, big picture, and the coaches say, you know what? I can't see big picture. I can't see past this week. I need to win. Otherwise, I'm out the door. You guys are still here. Yeah, he might be taking top ten overall, but he's a liability right now. And that's what happened in the Kansas City game. Look, there was way too much chaos on defense in the Kansas City game. You know, 
what front are we in? What's the call? Wait a minute. Who's making the adjustment? Mahomes is sending all these guys in motion. You heard Kyle Vandenbosch talk about it. We're not sound in our alignment and our assignments, and so it had to happen. It had to be changed out. You need improvement, and and it's the second guy in two months. You know, Marco Wilson went into CB2, and we all know his middle name became the jury is still out. He was called out by the head coach. No, Clifton trashed him as he you know, joked with the media. You guys made it sound like I trashed him. No, he didn't trash him, but he did hold him accountable in front of the media, and he did put Antonio Hamilton ahead of Marco Wilson, which was unthinkable going into camp. You, you thought, without question, as thin as the Cardinals were in the cornerback room, it was Byron Murphy and Marco Wilson. How's the rest of the – no, Marco Wilson lost that job to Antonio Hamilton before he had you know, the disappointing accident at home, the freak accident. So, And by the way, Antonio Hamilton you know, was on the trip, and he is walking oh, around in sneakers. So that's good news. Uh, you know, Now he, he still has to sit out the mandatory four games, right? Yeah, two, two more weeks. Two more to go. So, look, if you can just keep you know, your head above water – and get to three and three. I mean, they need DeAndre Hopkins back. This receiving, especially the way it's banged up right now, you know, Antoine Wesley, Annie Isabella, no Rondell Moore. So, you know, they need DeHop back. What is that going to mean for everyone else? Sort of be the J.J. Watt effect. I think it's going to trickle down, make everyone else that much more productive. Antonio Hamilton comes back. If he can regain that form that we saw in August, you know, all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're looking a lot stronger. And and great, this is just this is me with a wild speculation. But we saw this team ease into the regular season. And I think a lot of it has to do with an offseason where all they heard about was, oh, you guys peaked too early. So now it's a team that I think maybe is pacing itself a little bit more. Now, when the urgency was there and you saw them flip the switch in that second half, and especially midway through the third quarter, and there was a different team the rest of the way, all the way through overtime. Okay, are you gonna see that team now permanently? I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I wish I had the answer to that. I'm not sure even the coaches know. But I do expect to see that team by the time Hard Knock shows up. I really do. Not that it has anything to do with the cameras, just the time of season. I think there's a lot of veterans in there are hell-bent on, okay, okay, you know what, the second half of the season is. And so we'll, we'll see how this tracks and trends. Um, and Hard Knocks will be there to document it all. They were all over the sideline yesterday all over the sideline yesterday with all the boom mics and the audio recording equipment and everything else. They had multiple cameras uh, covering that game. <laughs> they got a hell of a show at the end, did they not? I have no worries or no issues, I should say, with easing into the season. But just this little caveat, can we not ease into a game in which you've been outscored 43-7 to seven in the first halves of these first two weeks? Yeah. Can, we, can we at least make it a little right. bit more, to your point, entertaining those first 30 minutes you want to ease in okay I'll, I'll i'll jump aboard that just to see how we finish this 2022 regular season but give us a little nugget a little a little taste here in the first and second quarters just just, just that's what i'm asking for paul yeah and and so look um the team is capable they just showed that they they show what they're capable of and so now hopefully they reminded themselves what it takes this sort of commitment the sort of effort and intensity, the sort of edge that it takes. You know, I loved watching Daryl Williams run the ball. 
Uh, man, he, he was a force. Once again, you usually other... don't see that out of a uh, running back wearing number 24. In <laughs> That's Arizona. right. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Wolf. Uh, Speaking uh, of former 24s, how about Adrian Wilson <laughs> uh, running down the sideline in his suit? You know, and, and then he went into the tunnel, from what I could tell, as opposed to the uh, Hale Larry, right, where Larry came down, you know, in the Green Bay playoff game, and then Adrian Wilson pretty much mugged him in the, uh, in the end zone after the shovel pass to win it. But, yeah, there were, there were guys who, when they got their chance – they took advantage of it, and once again, that is motivating to other players. They're like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, look at how Darrell Williams is playing. Look at that ferocity that he's going after Max Crosby with. Wow, interesting. You know, Eno Benjamin stoking it. Um, other guys playing with a little bit of nasty to them. And then, of course, Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson just flying around everywhere. Um, and, and I tell you, Buda was hyped before the game. I came down out of the pregame booth. I started asking around people who kind of shoot the entire pregame, and they're like, Buddha's out of his mind. Buddha's ready to play. And and I thought he – I don't know what his numbers were, Buddha Baker. I have – once again, I, I, I'm just – I'm not even looking at the stats in this one. I just – you know, it was just – it was a matter of a team just getting that energy and urgency and then playing ball. But uh, Buddha was, was amped up the entirety of the game. Guys were feeding off him. It's good to know. Buda Baker finished with six tackles, one quarterback hit. He was the third leading tackler. JT or Jalen Thompson, ten tackles. Avon Collins, eight. So those are your top three tacklers. Interesting. Which I think is going to be the norm this season. Now you would probably and usually you don't like your safeties to be your leading tacklers, but how many times are we seeing number three, number thirty four? Yeah either near the line of scrimmage or on the second level. So I think yep. there's a little bit of an asterisk when you talk about the Cardinal safeties leading the team in tackles. Yeah, and there were a number of people who were railing about that after last week. But you're right. They drop them down in the box or in, they're in the slot quite a bit. They're relied upon on run blitzes to be run stoppers. So, so you're right. They're far from your traditional deep you know, pair of safeties that you see with like a lot of these, these coverages, these shell coverage with the two high safeties. That's not Vance Joseph. That's not the Cardinals. That's not what they do with Jalen Thompson and Buda Baker. The only disappointment I have with what happened on Sunday post game, Paul, we could not get this out of your conversation with head coach Cliff Kingsbury, and we'll leave you with this, Bird Gang. Oh boy. The head coach asked by the media, first question out of the gate, how does this win feel? Quote, I was telling those coaches, usually I just lost and I'm super hungover on Sundays in Vegas. So this was a good changeup. Yeah, I didn't get that. No. I, I didn't get that sort of personality out of him. Dang, you know. Uh, <laughs> may, may, see, but see, he meets the media first, then he comes to do the postgame radio, and in between I do the players. But, you know, maybe he, he thought about that comment. He's like, yeah, you know, maybe I uh, – but th- that's great. That's, that's once again, that is, that is Cliff being Cliff. It's the Cliff Kingsbury that we're now seeing that uh, everyone else sees behind the scenes. You know, a really smart, intelligent sort of deadpan sense of humor. Um, you know, a humble, self-deprecating sense of humor that you see a lot of. There was one coach that walked by as I was waiting after Byron Murphy and Justin Pugh and waiting for uh, Cliff Kingsbury to show up. And he walked by, and he knew I was there, and I had the headset off. He's like, had it the whole time. <laughs> knew we had it the whole time. And he went into the coach's office. I'm like, okay. So, yeah, that does, does, does those kind of games don't happen no. in the NFL. Right? I mean, what is the stat about the Raiders? Isn't that that's their biggest blown lead ever? Correct. Ever. And you're talking about a Raiders team that's been very successful. Yeah, the largest blown lead in Raiders history. Well, just look at week two. Four different teams overcame deficits of at least 10 points to win. Two 
Cardinals and Dolphins overcame 20-point halftime deficits to wow. win. Wow. That doesn't happen in the NFL. Well, so And then the other one, no math, was the analytics, the win probability that said at the eight-minute mark of the fourth quarter when it was still 23-7 to that the Raiders had a 98% probability to win that game. Yeah. So the Cardinals, the Cardinals just beat the house with the odds stacked against them. That's what they did. They went into the casino and they beat the house despite getting down to one last chip in their pile. I mean, they, really, that that is the analogy, and it is apt. It is apt because the odds were just tremendously stacked against them, and they are still able to win. What happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas for the Arizona Cardinals here in 2022. That is the hope when you look at the third and fourth quarters on Sunday. We will see what this team does now moving forward beginning this week with the Los Angeles Rams coming to town. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.